Welcome, and thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. Christmas time is much more than lights and festivities and gifts. Christmas is a time to remember the birth of Jesus. Now we get to ask, why did God send his only son? First Pres Associate Pastor Tim Shaw tells us, and he does by way of a very poignant story. Well, good morning. My name is Tim Shaw, one of the pastors here on staff. And I recently heard um, our friend Andy Croft, who is one of the pastors at Soul Survivor in Watford, England. Uh, he and Mike Pilavachi co-lead that church together. And heard Andy talk about uh, a TV show that he's been watching that's called Finding Lost Family. It's a show about parents or siblings who are searching for a child or brother or sister who had been put up for adoption. I had the chance to watch the episode that Andy mentioned in his talk. Uh, it's the story of an adopted child who is now a man in his late 60s. His name is Keith, and he was put up for adoption when he was just a small child in the 1950s. His birth mother had met a man, and they had a brief relationship, and she got pregnant. When the man learned of the birth of his son, uh, the birth father wanted desperately to be a part of his child's life, but for unexplained reasons, uh, the mother did not want him to have anything to do with the boy. But soon, she realized that she was not going to be able to adequately care for him herself, so she ended up having to put Keith up for adoption. That must have been an extremely painful decision for her to make. Keith ended up being raised by a wonderful family in the country where he was born, in Wales. Um, but he soon discovered, even though his family was wonderful, how brutal the kids in the community could be. One day, he was sort of in a scuffle on the playground with one of the boys, and the boy called him a bastard. In anger, Keith returned the favor and called him the same thing. But the other boy insisted that for Keith... It was indeed a fact. You're a real, real one, he said. The shame and the rejection that Keith experienced eventually led him to move as far away as possible from Wales as he could possibly get. He moved all the way to Australia to begin his new life where his past would not haunt him. Moving halfway around the world, he started a new life. He got married. He had four children and eventually became a grandfather of eight grandchildren. But Keith spent most of his life believing that his birth parents wanted nothing to do with him. For nearly 70 years, he believed that the man and woman who had given him life had no interest in him. It felt like they had tossed him aside. He assumed that uh, they looked at him and he was just a burden that they didn't want to bear. His birth father did get married to another woman and had a daughter. One day, his daughter, Maureen, overheard her mother talking with an aunt about the fact that her dad actually had another child by another woman, a son by the name of Keith. She listened as her mom described the incredible anguish her dad went through trying to find his lost son. Her dad had searched and searched and searched for his boy. 
but he couldn't find him. He desperately wanted to know his son and for his son to know that he was loved and that he was wanted. His dad wanted to know what had happened to Keith and whether his son was okay. But sadly, Keith's father died without ever finding him. Keith's stepsister Maureen contacted the producers of the TV show Finding Lost Family and asked if they might be able to find her brother. They agreed to take on this challenge, and with all the resources and the staff that they had, they were able to locate her brother on the other side of the world. So they sent a reporter and a camera crew to a town just outside Melbourne, Australia, to interview this long-lost son. And with the cameras rolling, the presenter asked Keith, what would you say if I told you that you have a family back in the UK who have been searching for you? Well, because Keith had given up on that possibility a long time ago, he didn't really know what to say. After all those years of believing that he did not matter, the possibility that he might actually be wanted was incomprehensible to him. He had so convinced himself that his dad was not interested in him, he could not even fathom the possibility that he had a family that actually did care for him. The presenter handed Keith a letter written to him by his stepsister, Maureen, and he asked him to read it out loud. I want to show you a clip from this episode of Finding Lost Family as Keith learns the news that he was loved and that he had a father who had spent most of his adult life searching for him. How did you actually find out that you were adopted? I found out when I was eight um, in a schoolyard tussle with another boy in school and he called me a bastard. And I said, well, so are you. And he said, well, no, you're a real one. I had a really fabulous, loving family, so it was never an issue within my family. I felt within me it was an issue within the community that the lo my local community knew, and I would always be seen as a bit second-rate, I suppose. So, by coming to Australia, were you trying to escape? Yes. Yeah. Coming somewhere where nobody knew my background, therefore I couldn't be judged on that, and I could just forget about it. So how was it when you found out you were being looked for? It was quite a shock. Um, not something I'd expected ever. Um, ever? No, no, no. Why? Because of that little bit that was inside, hidden within me about not being wanted, being rejected. Well, now you know that you were wanted so much and sought by Maureen. I've got photographs to show you. There's your sister. Wow. It's an awful lot to take in. Awful lot. And here are your brother and sister together. 
Jay. When did they find out? Well, Maureen was 14 years old, and her mother mentioned her father's other child. So ever since then, she's been on a quest to find you. All the time. <laughs> Can I tell you about your birth father? Please. He had a very brief relationship with your birth mother, and he got this letter saying that she had had a baby, and it was a bolt out of the blue. Maureen says that he wanted to see you, but he wasn't allowed to see you. And the next thing he heard is that you've been put up for adoption. And Maureen really needs you to know that he didn't turn his back on you willingly. Wow. I always thought my father didn't want anything to do with me. So that's what I was, that's what I believed. It's the opposite. It's a very different story. <sighs> Maureen wants you to know he did think about you she believes all his life. Gee, that changes everything I've ever thought about him. Maureen has written you a letter. To our dearest brother, I can't find the words to say how wonderful it is to be able to write this letter to you. Julian, our younger brother, and I have talked about you through the years. Our dad was such a gentle man. He wanted so much to be part of your life. Always your sister and brother, Maureen and Julian. Oh, wow. changes the world. <laughs> the main thing I want to say to you today is that many of you, or some of you might be here today um, thinking that God wants nothing to do with you, and nothing could be further from the truth. When Keith learned that his father had been searching for him his whole life, and that his sister wanted Keith to know how much he was loved and wanted by his father and by her and their brother, this now 68-year-old grandfather's life began to change. Keith had spent his entire life running from a sense of shame and guilt that he'd felt, believing that his father and family did not care about him. But when he learned that his dad and his family had been searching the world for him, he said it began to change everything. And after meeting his sister and brother in person and learning more about his birth father and his birth mother and her difficult, heartbreaking decision to put him up for adoption, at the end of the program, Keith says, all the sense of shame and guilt are gone. I feel complete. Christmas is the story of how our God came to earth in Jesus, searching for you and for me. And many of us, like Keith, find it really hard to believe that there could possibly be a God who loves us, who longs for us, 
and wants us to know how important we are to him. You see, the truth that is announced to us in the birth of Jesus so long ago is that God does love you and is searching for people because he loves them. That is the message that is at the heart of Christmas. For many of us, uh, we live with feelings of shame and guilt and rejection. We find it nearly impossible to actually trust that God loves us no matter what we've done. And there may be someone here today who's just particularly feeling that. You can't even believe you're in church or watching church online. But you have this small hope that maybe there is a God who actually cares, that still is open to you. We feel sometimes that God might have just given up on us, that he wouldn't be interested in loving us or healing our broken lives. Many of us have erected all sorts of barriers that prevent us from believing the good news of Christmas and that it's for us. As I've asked myself the question, why is it so hard sometimes for us to believe this good news? One of the reasons might be because we are bombarded literally every day by lies. I don't have another word for it. Lies from the world around us and lies that we tell ourselves. But God wants to break through all of those falsehoods and show us what is true. Christmas shows us that our God doesn't just send a letter, though he does do that in his written word, the Bible. But the Christmas story tells us that God himself comes personally in search of us. That is what's happening in Bethlehem on that Christmas day. Emmanuel, which means God is with us, he's come searching for us. And that incredible news is what leads the angels to light up the night sky with their songs of joy. And when we can entrust our lives to Jesus Christ, when we stop trying to be good enough for God and simply say yes to his forgiveness and his love, he gives us his Holy Spirit. He himself, the God who has been searching for us, comes and lives in us. Knowing that there is a God who has always loved us and is searching for us is a truth that can begin to transform everything when we are able to accept it and trust it, and believe the good news is for us. This is the message that is at the heart of Christmas. Today's passage from the Bible is from Luke chapter 1, verses 67 to 79. Uh, Before I read you these verses, I want to tell you um, who's speaking and who are they talking about. Um, The man who is being quoted in this passage was a priest by the name of Zechariah. Zechariah served in the temple in Jerusalem and was the husband of a woman by the name of Elizabeth. And they were the parents of a boy who would grow up to be known as John the Baptist. Elizabeth and Zechariah were childless into their old age. But miraculously, Elizabeth gets pregnant and gives birth to a baby whom Zechariah names John. A promise was made to Zechariah one day while he was serving in the temple that he and Elizabeth would become parents. That promise came true, even though Zechariah was understandably incredulous when the angel made that promise to him. 
Having a child was something Elizabeth and Zechariah had longed for. And when it happened, it was completely unexpected. It was miraculous. Woven throughout the story of Christmas is this amazing theme, the impossible can happen. Elizabeth and Zechariah were in their senior years and well past childbearing age, and yet she gets pregnant and gives birth to a son. The impossible is possible when God is involved. Mary, the mother of our Lord, was a virgin, and yet she gave birth to Jesus, God in human flesh. And these two women, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, and Mary, the mother of our Lord, are remarkable examples of people who can entrust themselves to God and his promises. Mary and Elizabeth dared to believe that the living God could do the impossible. And they invite you and me to believe that God can do what seems impossible in our lives. So let me read to you the prophetic word that Zechariah speaks just about a little over a week after John was born. Luke chapter 1, verses 67 to 79 If you're here with us at Koala, I invite you to stand, if you are able, for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 1, verses 67 to 79. His father, that is John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Now watch how Zechariah describes the search and rescue mission that God is on. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. That's part one of his prophecy. Our God is on a search and rescue mission. And here comes part two. God invites you and me to join him in his mission in the world. Zechariah hints at that in the second part of his prophecy. And you, my child, that is his son John, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, let me look at this passage a little bit with you. I've divided Zechariah's prophecy into two parts. In part one, we learn that God is on a search and rescue mission. In part two, we see in the life and ministry of of Zechariah's son, John the Baptist, a vision, sort of a hint of what we can, how we can be a part of what God is doing in the world. There are a number of key statements that I want to underline in Zechariah's prophecy. Um, Zechariah says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. Notice the tense of that verb. That is an incredibly confident statement. And that's just one of the amazing affirmations he makes about what God has accomplished. Zechariah says these things even though Jesus has not yet been born. He has redeemed them. Zechariah is so sure of God's faithfulness that he speaks about what Jesus will do as a done deal. God has come to his people and redeemed them. I want to have faith that's more like that. I want to be so confident in God's promises 
that I can rest assured that God is going to accomplish what he says he will do, even before he acts. God is on a search and rescue mission to redeem our broken lives, to save us, to show us his mercy and compassion so that we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all the days of our lives. He's on a search and rescue mission to heal our world. And those of us who are discovering these things to be true, and it's a process of discovery, we are invited to go and tell others the true story of who our God is. Here's the truth that God wants the people in our lives to know. They are loved by God. A God who longs to be in a relationship with them. And he is searching for them. He's not searching with a wagging, accusing finger. He's searching for us because he wants to invite us into a relationship of love. But so many of us have an incredibly difficult time to believe this could be true. Partly because of the half-truths, falsehoods, and lies that we are told and we tell ourselves. The COVID-19 pandemic has been really hard on lots of us. We're continuing to make our way through a very challenging time that is going on much longer than any of us had expected. Really rough things have happened. Horrible arguments about vaccines and mandates and have erupted between family members and friends and within church communities. And with the arrival of a new variant of concern, there is, once again for many, growing anxiety and uncertainty in their hearts and minds. But some of the struggles that we're having, to be honest with you, I think, are made even more challenging because of the lies that we believe. We seem to be awash in falsehoods and half-truths. Some of those lies come crashing into our lives through the media, through news channels, spinning facts to suit their editorial objectives. Those falsehoods come to us through advertising. It's really working hard to say that who we are is all about what we have, and what we have is not enough. And many of those lies come crashing into our lives, especially through social media. But the media is not only the only source of lies in our lives. Jesus describes the devil as our accuser. Jesus says the devil is a liar and the father of lies. He says that when the devil lies, he speaks his native language. He's really good at lying. And the devil wants you to believe that God does not care about your life, that God has written you off, that God has finished with you because of the things that you've done. That is a lie. And some of us don't need any help from the world or from the devil. We are pretty good at telling lies to ourselves about who we are, lies about other people and about God that leaves us anxious and discouraged and even depressed. Keith believed that his father wanted nothing to do with him. That was not true. Keith believed that his biological family had cut him off, written them out of his story, or their story. But the truth was, they had been talking about him and looking for him for decades. One of the things I love about Christmas is that the story at the heart of this season can help us to begin to understand what is true. When we pause and consider that God is in that miserable manger, that God has come searching for us, 
it should drive us to our knees and onto our face. God is in that miserable manger. He's come searching for us. Will we believe that this good news is really for us? Will we trust that this good news is for our friends and family members, for those who are yet to know Jesus? Will we believe that this is what is true about who God is? The people in our lives who do not know the good news of the gospel of Jesus are also struggling to know what's true. They are exposed to the same lies, falsehoods, and half-truths that we are. When Keith discovered the truth about his birth family, when he discovers the truth that he had always been wanted and was loved, he says, all the sense of shame and guilt are gone. I feel complete. John the Baptist, Zechariah's son, was sent ahead of Jesus to give people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. So guess what? You and I, who are discovering the truth about God, are sent to tell others whose lives would be changed forever if they knew the truth. God is searching for them. He's longing for them. When he sent his son Jesus to the earth, he risked it all to save us. Jesus gave his life that we might know that we have a God who loves us. I've always been super impressed with the U.S. Coast Guard. One of the things that impresses me the most is their commitment to risking themselves for others. It doesn't seem to matter how people get themselves into the predicament from which they need rescuing. The men and women of the U.S. Coast Guard jump out of helicopters and face treacherous seas to pull people out of the water. All the Coast Guard seems to care about is the fact that human lives are at risk. That's all they need to know before they spring into action. When someone calls for help, the Coast Guard doesn't work through a series of questions to determine whether someone was careless or did something stupid or reckless that got them into the mess they're in. Nope, they just fire up the engines on their boats and aircraft and go after those who are in trouble. The motto of the volunteer organization that preceded the U.S. Coast Guard was, you have to go out, you don't have to come back. Wow. What advertising school did they go to? <laughs> you have to go out when you see somebody in trouble, but you know what? You don't have to come back. Wow. You had to do whatever you could to save people. You had to do that even if you did so at great personal risk. The current motto of the U.S. Coast Guard is always ready. Are you and I uh, ready to join God in his search and rescue mission in the world? A couple of hundred years ago, along the eastern seaboard of the United States, a group of people started a volunteer organization they called the Humane Society. In those days, travel by sea was super dangerous. Storms in the Atlantic, in combination with the rocky coastlines of Massachusetts, resulted in the loss of many lives within a mile of the shore. So a group of people on Nantucket Island decided that they could no longer bear the thought of so many people losing their lives in shipwrecks so close to shore. So these volunteers went into the life-saving business. They set up little huts along the shore that were staffed with volunteers seven days a week, 24 hours a day. 
In these huts of refuge, they stored boats and rescue equipment. People willing to risk their lives for others were posted in those huts of refuge. Their job was to simply watch the sea, and any time a ship went down, they would head out to save every life they could. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, somebody was always watching. And they were willing to do whatever they could to try and save others. You have to go out, but you don't have to come back. You think a motto like that would discourage people from joining them, but it did just the opposite. A whole lot of people volunteered. You see, our God is in the life-saving business. He's on a search and rescue mission. Because he's, on a life, he's in the life-saving business, he came to earth in search of us. He came to make a way for us to be in a relationship with him. He longs for us. He wants us to be confident of his great love for us. That is the truth that we can discover maybe for the first time this Christmas. Or maybe we can rediscover it once again. So what about you and me? God's on a search and rescue mission. If we know what it's like to be found by this God, to know his love, that he longs for a relationship with us, if you know that, are we in the life-saving business? Are we joining God in what he's doing in the world? Next week, we're going to learn more about how we can be involved in God's search and rescue mission in the world. Let's pray together. God, we are so grateful, so thankful for that you are a God who has come searching for us. And what a startling um, realization that you came searching for us as a baby born to a poor family in a miserable manger. That you humbled yourself, became a human being, lived your life and taught us and showed us how to live. And then took upon yourself the sins of the world and died in our place that we might have life. That you made this, offered this great exchange. The one who knew no sin, Jesus Christ, became sin for us. That by putting our faith in him, we could receive your righteousness. What an incredible act of mercy and grace. And maybe there's someone here today that wants to receive that life offered to us in Christ. If that's you, all you need to do is pray to God and say, I'm sorry for the ways that I have probably lived too much for myself, hurt other people, hurt myself. Forgive me for all the ways that I have wandered away. Thank you that you're a God of forgiveness. Thank you for a God of mercy. That when I confess my sins, you're faithful and just and will forgive my sins. So I confess my need for your forgiveness. 